0: Thank you. to see everybody today go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28 if you've got your your, your copy of God's word with you or if you've got your phone you can open up on your phone or a device that you have Acts chapter 28 is where we will be today um, as we begin today I just I'm, I'm excited about today's message I'm excited about the opportunity to get to, to share with you today today we get to end the book of Acts we've been in the series uh, in several series throughout the book of Acts uh, for for actually several years now and we're going to talk more about that in just just a second. But one of the things I think we've seen through every series is this idea that faithfulness gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God. I just think that's something that's true. It doesn't mean that everything turns out perfect. It doesn't mean my life is always successful and everything's roses. But I do believe that scripture teaches us and what we've seen through the book of Acts is that faithfulness gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God. And so that's really going to be kind of our topic for today as we look at this end of this book uh, of Acts, and specifically Acts chapter 28. Uh, this last Friday was Londa's birthday. And so she's in the room somewhere. I haven't seen her yet, but uh, we could say happy birthday. Could we on the count of three? One, two, three. Happy birthday. Yeah, I don't know where she is, but she's in here somewhere. And uh, uh, guys, I don't know about you, but I have a really cool wife on her birthday, which was on Friday. She got up and she said, hey, let's go axe throwing. For my birthday. Yeah, I think I heard an amen. I think I heard her actually over there. Yeah, and so we went axe throwing on her birthday. It was great, and so we'd never done that before. There's a place down in Broken Arrow where you can do it. We got up, we went, and and they literally give you an axe. It's a nice size, nice heavy axe that you throw at a target, and it's embarrassing at first because you throw it and it bounces off because you hit the handle or you hit the head or you don't stick it or you actually land it. At, you know, with the blade, but you didn't throw it hard enough, so it doesn't stick in, and it falls down. But then you start to you sort of start to get your rhythm to it. You've got a rhythm to it. You throw it, and you you hit the you either hit the the circle somewhere, you hit somewhere on the line, it sticks, and it just feels so good when you hit that target, you know, and it feels so bad when your wife hits you in the ear right there on the edge of things, right there. It's terrible. She didn't really hit me there, but I did end up with a cut after Friday on my ear. I'm not sure how that happened while we were axe throwing, but. But the, the target that you look at there when you're throwing it, it's just like a, any target that you would shoot at or that you'd shoot an arrow at. There's just a target there. It's a, a ring of circles, and each one of them has a variety of points, and right in the center is the bullseye of the target. And that's your goal. You're really trying to hit that target. And you know, there's a word in Scripture that really means to hit the target. In the in the Greek, it's the word skopos. It means to hit the mark. And And this word shows us some amazing things about what it takes to be faithful. This book reveals to us really steps for faithfulness. It shows us what a faithful life looks like. It shows us how we can become faithful people. And I don't know about you, but, but you've had that moment where you've been on a ball field, maybe, where someone's playing, and you're watching maybe your kids play, and there's an umpire on the field, and you know the rules, and everybody knows the rules, but it just seems like someone's being unfaithful to those rules. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it's not the kids on the field, and it's not the coaches on the field, sometimes it's the parents in the stands that are the craziest in those moments because they know the rules and someone's not being faithful to those rules. You all know somebody who's been unfaithful in their marriage and you all know somebody who's been unfaithful in their schoolwork and you all know somebody who's been... And it's just frustrating, isn't it, when you run into people who are unfaithful? Well, I believe Scripture teaches us that faithfulness gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God and that word skopos, it means to hit the mark, just like when we were throwing those axes, it means to hit the mark right in the bullseye and this word reveals to to you exactly what it takes to hit the mark every time. As a matter of fact, sometimes in scripture there's another word that's related to scopos, oscopos. It's actually, it takes the word ah, puts it in front of scopos, which reverses the meaning of the word. Oscopos means to miss the mark. And oftentimes the word oscopos is translated sin. When we give in to sin, we're missing the mark that God set for us. But but faithfulness to God's mark, to God's standard, that gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God. Now, that's why I'm excited about the way we've studied the book of Acts. And we do, we do this a lot. This is just kind of a, a pattern and a habit and a practice for us because we think it's a great way to do this. But there's a reality that, that, that knowing God's word is the foundation for doing God's will. So knowing this book, knowing God's word, is the foundation for living God's way. And so if we don't know this book, it makes it awfully hard to hit the mark. If you don't know the rules to baseball, it's awfully hard to play baseball, isn't it? Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to lose. Actually, I don't even know how you would determine a winner or a loser if they haven't done that. So knowing, knowing God's word is actually the foundation for living God's way. And, and what we've seen through the book of Acts, and just really our process, our process for studying the, the, the Word of God, is that the systematic, the systematic process, the systematic step-by-step study of God's Word is the best way to develop an accurate view of your life in God's world. It's just true that the systematic step-by-step study of God's Word is the best way to develop an accurate view of your life in God's world. There's a verse in John chapter 13, it's verse 17, it says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Isn't that an easy verse to remember? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now in that context, Jesus is teaching and he's about to go to the cross and he's saying to them, here's my new commandment, I want you to love God and I want you to love people. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to to be those people who are instruments of grace in the world around you. And if you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. And so that systematic study of God's word is significant. I hope that that's the way you'll study God's word. I hope you'll pick a book and you'll go verse by verse and chapter by chapter that you'll read it uh, systematically like that. It's, it prevents us. When we when we do a systematic study of God's word, what happens is it keeps us from taking Scripture out of context. For us to, it keeps us from finding those verses that agree with the way we already think and living on those verses. And instead, it challenges us To move our lives to match what this book says, rather than trying to force this book to match something I already believe. You see how that works? We want to live a life that is scopos, a life that is on target. We want to live in a way that honors God as believers in Christ. And one of the reasons we want to do that is because we believe that faithfulness gives us a front row seat. To all the promises of God. That systematic approach, you actually live this on a regular basis. You've, you've seen this, and I've, I've done this too. And this morning, just at the beginning of this, a little bit, I'm going to kind of let my geek flag fly and just kind of let you know. I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, a huge science fiction fan. Anybody else, a Star Wars fan in the room? You're just going to confess with me you're a geek too? Yeah, I feel so much better when I know that. How many of you know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? You just know the difference between that? Oh, that's good. That's good. You know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? How about you know, how many of you know the difference between. Narnia and Middle Earth. Got a little bit smaller. That's good. How about Neverland and Wonderland? You know the difference between those? Yeah, got a little bit smaller. How about Norman and Stillwater? Yeah, (laughs) heaven or hell. Yeah, see, you know the difference. You know the difference between those things. That's great. You know... um, there's just something powerful that happens when you understand a story in the right order, when you systematically understand the way the, the story points and the plot points lay out. And when I was, uh, well, right before Star Wars The Force Awakens came, came out, um, my friend Brian and I, we grew up together. We've known each other since the third grade. He's actually preaching right now in Mountain View, Oklahoma. He's a pastor of First Baptist Mountain View. And uh, the Warren Theater in Oklahoma City before the, the seventh edition, the seventh episode of Star Wars came out, they decided that they would do a Star Wars marathon. <laughs> and we decided to go. And it, this is, I think there's a picture of, yeah, this is the, the two of us in our 3D glasses together at the Star Wars marathon at the Warren Theater. It was general admission seating, and so you had to get there early enough to get the seat that you wanted. It's, uh, the feature started at 4 a.m. And ran all day long, but to get the seat that you wanted, the theater opened at midnight. So we arrived about eleven forty-five at night, and then we sat there and just hung out and had a good time watching the crazy people dressed as you know Jawas <laughs> come in and sit down in the movie theater. And the movie starts at four a.m. and they started with episode one, episode two, three, four, five, six, and then the big premiere of episode seven begins. And we were able to see. From the very beginning to what was the next step in the story, we got to see the whole thing. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner we ate in a theater, and some of you are looking at me like, you are an idiot. (laughs) I would never do that. But the same people who are looking at me like that just may have spent the entire weekend at a ball tournament sitting on an eight-inch piece of aluminum, and I think you probably got as much exercise as I did, and you've done it for three days now, so it's okay. It's okay. You've got your thing. I've got my thing, and that's okay. But even like a ball game, isn't there something about a ball game you can watch the highlights on ESPN. You can see who won and who lost. You can see kind of the big moments and this, this, the, the small moments. But isn't there something about when you're watching a movie series like that, seeing every moment, understanding every character? When you're watching a ball game, seeing every swing and every pitch and just the joy of watching every mistake that's made and every incredible play and every moment. There's just something about knowing in sequence systematically in order What has taken place that gives you a deeper understanding of the story, maybe a better understanding of the game, and and maybe it gives you an experience with your friends and your family that you'll never forget. You see, that's why I think the systematic study of God's Word is such an important thing, and that's what we've done through the book of Acts. Since 2017, if you've been here with us that long, since 2017, we've studied 10 different books of the Bible. We've done it in 15 different sermon series, and five of those sermon series came from the book of Acts. And I just want, as before we finish the book of Acts today, I just want to remind us where we came from. Just remind us of some of the things that that we've seen and that we've learned. Our very first series was from Acts chapter 1 and 2, and we called it Rooted. The idea behind Rooted is really we're seeing the beginning of the church, and the idea behind Rooted is that, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the church is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. You see, the book of Acts really is the second of a two-part anthology written by a man named Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was an early convert to Christianity. And Luke wrote two books of the Bible, and together those two books of the Bible, they really become one quarter of the New Testament. Like 25% of the New Testament were written by, the, uh, by, by Luke. The first book that Luke wrote was the Gospel of Luke. And in that book, what he's attempting to do is he's attempting to show us the humanity of Jesus Christ and that in his humanity, Jesus never missed the mark. Luke reveals that that Jesus was human, just like you and I are, but he never missed the mark. He never sinned, and so it reveals Jesus' miraculous life and his ministry and and the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and his resurrection, and it reveals this incredible story that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that you and I can be forgiven because Jesus knew that we can't possibly hit the mark on our own. We're always going to miss the mark. The second book that he wrote was the Acts of the Apostles. And that's where we began with Acts chapters 1 and chapter 2. He finishes the story of Christ with his resurrection and this idea that hope has come into the world. And then he starts to answer the question, well, what's next? What happened after that? And, and he writes it, it feels a little bit like a history book because you see dates and times and places and people and names. It feels a little bit like history. But Luke's purpose isn't to write history. His purpose is to reveal what happened with that incredible, miraculous gospel message that Jesus loves you that Jesus hit the mark, and that you can't. And as a result of that, we need his forgiveness, we need his salvation, and that Jesus has made a way. He continues that story in the book of Acts. How did this story go from this little bitty Roman province called Israel in this little bitty town called Jerusalem? How did that story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how did that spread from that place to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Luke in the book of Acts begins to tell that story. And that's the first thing we see in Acts chapters 1 and chapter 2. Our, our faith has been rooted in this gospel message that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the church is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. And then we moved into Acts chapter, the next section, Acts chapters 3 through 6. And we saw the ecclesia. Ecclesia is this Greek word that means we are the sent out ones. We are the called ones. And, and it's amazing to see this idea that, that as, as the gospel began to spread, as the message of the cross began to grow, as it began to move out of Jerusalem, that there were these people that God chose to send out to share the gospel. And, and it's still amazing to me that today in 2019, God in his sovereignty, when he stops and he thinks to himself, I want to share my love with my people. I want people to understand that their brokenness can be made whole. I want them to see the grace that can come and is available only through Jesus Christ. I want them to hear this message. I want them to know it. I want them to live it. I want them to love it. God in his sovereignty as he's thinking, how can I possibly give that message to the world? How do I do that? In all the ways he could have possibly chosen. What we saw through the book of Acts in Ecclesia is that he chose you. And he chose me. We are God's preferred method for the, for the delivery of that gospel message. And then we cycled back around to a second edition of Rooted. We kind of came back around to, to Rooted in that, in that second edi- edition. And in that second edition, we see that now the gospel is spreading throughout... All of Jerusalem, Judea, it's not little anymore. It's becoming a movement, this life-defining, eternity-changing movement. And we see that hope is contagious. It's going out through the missionary journeys of Paul, and it's going out through the missionary journeys and journeys of Peter and some of the other disciples. It's going out around the world, and we're seeing how this gospel is being spread here, there, and everywhere. That's what we saw through the second edition of Acts. And doesn't that sound familiar, that the gospel goes out here, there, and everywhere? I'm really proud of our church. A couple of weeks ago, there were about 50 people who signed up to go on a mission trip. And you know where they went? They went to their workplace. And and some of you, you, I I just want you to understand, you don't have to sign up to go on a mission trip to your workplace. For those of you who are going to get up and go to work tomorrow, you can just get up and go to work tomorrow and decide i'm going to shine the light of the gospel into my workplace. It doesn't mean you're constantly beating people over the head with the Bible or demanding your moralistic point of view. It just means you represent Christ well in your workplace. It means you pray for those of the, the those of those colleagues and coworkers and clients and, and and the the business leaders that you're around. It means you pray for them. It means you serve them. It means you do your job with excellence. It means you serve well. Well there were fifty people from this church who two weeks ago raised their hand and said. I'm going to go be a missionary to my workplace. They're doing the, the work of the ministry here. And there's, there's another group of people. Chris has already talked about them. There's 60 of them headed, headed to the border to do ministry with refugees who need help. They need to hear the gospel. They're going there. And we've got people all the time who are going everywhere to share the gospel. And you know what? You could be next. doesn't mean you have to go overseas. It could mean that you just get up tomorrow morning and go to work. Why? Well, because of all the ways God has chosen to share his gospel. You're the one. I'll never be able to step into the workplace that you're at like like you can. I'll never be able to walk into the classrooms that you walk into with the authority and the respect and the possibilities that you guys have. I'll never be able to step onto a ball field. (laughs) Uh, If you know how athletic I am, I'll never be able to step onto a ball field. And garner the kind of respect that some of you all have as coaches and as, and as athletes and as parents and as managers. And God set you there to be salt and light in that location because we're the ecclesia. We're the rooted ones. We're the ones who God has called out to continue to share this hope that's contagious. And then just recently, at the beginning of this year, we stepped into the next piece of Acts. And in the next section of Acts, we saw uh, this idea of good soil. Luke, who is the writer of Acts, also wrote the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a story about how the seed of God's word was thrown out onto the ground. And some of it fell on hard soil, and it didn't produce anything. And some of it fell onto soil that had weeds in it. And the weeds choked out any goodness that could have possibly happened. But some of the seed fell on good soil, and that seed produced 10 and 50... a hundred more than anybody could have possibly expected. And the challenge for us in the book of Acts is that this book, this word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the book of Acts, it fell on good soil. And it began to produce something in the church, in in, in the early church, in, in those believers that couldn't be explained because of those believers. They weren't rich. They weren't powerful. They weren't prominent. They were just like you and me. Yet somehow God was doing something miraculous through the story of their faith, and it happened because this word fell on good soil. We ask the question, is this word falling in good soil on your life? Uh, Mike and Liz Rark are right over there, and I'm so excited that you're home, and I'm so excited about what took place on the mission trip that you were on last week. Last week, Chris challenged all of us to pray for them because they were in Cambodia last week. And I hope I tell this story well and tell it right. But we got to pray for them because, well, there's a man in this picture here that uh, that came and invited Mike to come speak to a group of Buddhist monks and deacons. And uh, he's someone who had been listening to the gospel. And I know Mike and Liz, they've been in Cambodia for years. They've been tilling the soil in Cambodia for years. They've been laying the seed in Cambodia for years. And now here's this man who's a Buddhist monk. He believes completely contrary to the way we believe. And so last week, we had the privilege of praying for Mike because this man came to him and said, I want to know more. I want to understand better about this Jesus and this gospel that you teach. And I'd like my friends to hear it too. He's 67 years old. And so we prayed for him. And when what a privilege that was. And on Monday of last week, he got to step into this Buddhist temple this, I think it's a pagoda, I think is what it's called and, and speak with some, some men who were monks and deacons in that place. And, and that's really a little bit like asking a, a Muslim person to come into this place and stand in this pulp and try to convince you all why it's OK to be Muslim. That, that's kind of the atmosphere that you're kind of stepping into, except there, there are actually laws that protect their Buddhist faith and that are contrary to the Christian faith. So it's dangerous to do that. So we prayed for Mike, and what a beautiful story this is. This man who invited, who invited Mike to come in, he begins to indicate to Mike there's something happening in his heart. And later in a conversation on the phone after that meeting, he expresses that he has faith in Jesus Christ. That he has placed his faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the word of God fell on good soil. It fell on good soil. And for that man, you know what it means for him to express his faith in Christ? He's 67. He lives in, a, in, in essentially a Buddhist monastery. At the point that he makes his faith public, there will be people who will throw him out of the place he's lived. There will be people who will persecute him for the faith that he has. There will be people who will want him to go to jail because he's no longer Buddhist. Simply because of his faith. What does your faith cost you? What is professing your faith in your workplace or at your school or on the ball field or in whatever hobbies or habits that you have, what, what does it cost you? You see, we found through the second edition of Rooted that hope is contagious. contagious. And not even the threat of prison can stop it because it's something miraculous that Jesus does in us and through us that can't be explained because of us. And then the next series, it's the series that we're ending right now, we called it Good Fight. It's the series we're in today. Paul is the missionary who's gone out around the world, he's started churches, he's told people about Christ. And now his faith has been challenged because for his faith he's been thrown in prison. For his faith, he's been thrown in jail, and he's been shipwrecked, and he's been beaten. He's been beaten so severely that at times they've dragged him outside the city. They beat him, and they left him for dead, thinking that he was dead. You know what Paul does? He just gets back up, and he brushes himself off, and he goes to the next town. Sometimes he goes right back into the town where the people who beat him were, and he says, I just need to tell you something. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. Your, your life is broken by sin, and you know it because you hurt because of that sin, Jesus Christ can fix it. He does more than fix our hurts. He heals our relationship with God. He can can give us a firm foundation for a healthy relationship with one another. And so Paul begins sharing this incredible story. And now he's coming towards the end of his life and his ministry. And he's writing letters to different people. And he writes a letter to the Apostle Timothy or to the, to the preacher, Timothy. And he says this. He says, uh, in, 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 in Timothy, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. No, that's actually the wrong verse. Sorry about that. What he said, what he said was, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So that's been our question through the series, Good Fight. Are you one who at the end of your days... We'll be able to look back and say, I've been relentlessly faithful to this book. Remember, I said faithfulness gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God? It's not simply about being faithful to the words of a book, it's about faithful to this faith that God has given you and entrusted you with. And so I know I've taken a long time to get to the scriptures today, but that's the foundation for where we are in these last few verses of the book of Acts as we finish out this idea of the good fight. So let me invite you if you would, Acts chapter 28. Stand with me if you would in honor of God's word. And we're going to read verses 28, 29, 30 and 31, right at the last section of that. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And then Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. You know, as we wrap this up and we wrap up the story of Paul's faith, it's really interesting to see his faithfulness and how it played out. Paul has been in prison for a while now. He's been in prison in different times and gotten out, but at this point, he's been in prison and then taken to, this, to, to Rome. He appealed to Rome specifically because he was a Roman citizen. But if you read a little bit earlier, at the, at the beginning of that chapter or in the middle of that chapter as we get in there, we didn't read that section we're not going to today. But, uh, but at the beginning of that passage, one of the things that's really interesting is that there are Jewish people in the city of Rome who have heard about Christianity, They've heard about the faith of Paul. They've heard about these churches that are rising up, and they're intrigued. They're interested. They want to know more about this Jesus who some, pe- some people are claiming to be Messiah. Some people are claiming to be Savior. And so they hear that Paul is there, and he's in prison, and so they go to see Paul. Isn't that interesting? You know, when we live our life, when we live our faith in a way that's faithful to God... It makes our life something our intre- uh, something people are interested in knowing more about. It makes our God someone people are interested in knowing more about. It's a little bit like the man that, that that Mike had the opportunity to share the gospel with. Mike came; he wasn't saying you should or you shouldn't. He was simply saying, "Let me tell you about who Jesus is." And over time, that man became so intrigued by the message that he heard. And the lives that he saw changed by the gospel that he had to know more and he showed up and started asking questions. You know, that, that's exactly how the gospel can be shared with your friends and family. It doesn't have to come as a series of rules and regulations or a series of moralistic arguments. It doesn't have to come from your political point of view or, or some kind of moral superiority because I'm Christian and you're not. It, it, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. It, it doesn't have to. Actually, that's really not the nature of Christianity. The nature of Christianity is that God did something for us that we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. He saved us by the power of his Son Jesus Christ. He forgave our sins, and he wiped the slate clean of all the sinfulness that's in our life. And now he's given us a pattern. He's given us a method. He's given us a way of living that, that allows us, that allows us to move towards his standard. And if we live that way, at least for Paul, it made his life something that was intriguing to the people of rome to the jewish people they came to him and here's the part i want us to feel this for a little bit he's been in prison for several years already and when they come to him he says to him do you know he says to them do you you know why i'm in prison (laughs) and they look at him and they go um we don't these are the jewish people in rome we we don't know why you're in why are you in prison well let me tell you my story and he tells a story about how he once persecuted the faith of the, of the Christians. And then he met Christ on the road to Damascus. His life was forever redefined. His life was forever changed by that moment when he surrendered. He submitted himself to Jesus Christ. And then he becomes this incredible person, this incredible pastor who starts churches and preaches as a missionary here, there, and everywhere. He starts doing that. And then he's thrown into prison for it. And now he's been in prison for so long. He's been, he was thrown into prison by the Jewish people. And now here are these Jews... In Rome, going, I don't, I don't remember, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I don't know about you being thrown into prison. No one from Jerusalem has shown up accusing you of anything. And, and no one from Jerusalem has sent us a letter telling us how wicked and evil and how bad you are. And Paul essentially says, the reason I'm here isn't because I've broken Roman law. And it's not because I've broken Jewish law. It's because of my faith that I wear these chains. Could you imagine? How would that challenge your faith? If you were thrown in jail simply for what you believed. And here's the remarkable thing about Paul. The people who once were his accusers couldn't remember what they accused him of. But they could remember his faith. They couldn't remember the accusations that had been hurled against him that put him in prison. But when it came time to find out about who Jesus was and what this thing called Christianity was all about, when it came time for them to find out about it, they went... I know Paul's faith, I'm gonna go talk to him about it. I wonder what your life is like. I wonder what your reputation is like. Is that the kind of reputation you have? Do people know more about your politics than they know about your faith? Do they know more about your career than they know about your faith? Do they know more about your hobbies than they know about your faith? Do they know more about your finances, your popularity? Do they know about your prominence or your power? Do they know more about, well, any aspect of your life than they know about your faith? You see, people want to know the story of the relentlessly faithful. That's exactly what Paul was. There's a standard, scopos. I can't meet that standard on my own, and neither can you. But Jesus died. He met that standard. He lived in such a way that he, Jesus lived in such a way that he met that standard And after meeting that standard, he willingly sacrificed his life to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. For the fact, Oscopos, we've missed the mark. He paid the price for your sin and mine. He rose from the dead and now through the power of his Holy Spirit, this standard is something that we can move toward. This standard is something that we can try to live up to. Scripture says, be holy as I am holy. Well, that's not something I can do on my own, but by the power of God in me, I can move closer to holiness tomorrow than I was today. I can become more faithful tomorrow than I was today. I can, I can look at this standard and I can compare this standard to the quality of my life, to the decisions that I make, to the words I use and the actions I choose. And where my life doesn't match up to this standard, I can take one more step of faithfulness, and you know what happens as I do? Faithfulness gives me a front-row seat to all the promises of God, and you can do the same. I'm so, I'm so excited about the way our church shares the gospel. I love the fact that there are people in our community who have heard of your faith, and in moments of crisis, and in moments of trial, and in moments of trouble, they may not. Believe the way you believe. They're not sure about church. They're, they don't, they're not confident in who God is or who Jesus is. But they've watched the way you live. And they see something in your life that they find attractive. And in that moment of crisis, for many of you, they go, help. Show me the way. Can, can you tell me what's different about you? There's so many people crying out for that. And I know inside this church, there are some people that, are, that claim faith in Christ that I can't say that about or that I wouldn't say that about. I know that's not true for all of us who are believers, but I know it's true for many of you. And can I just encourage you, keep it up. Keep going, keep doing that. Remain faithful, be relentlessly faithful like Paul, even if it means going to prison, even if it means losing something, even if it means giving up something. Continue to be faithful. For those of you who aren't being faithful but claim to be Christian, Repent, confess, follow Christ, and take a step of faithfulness today. There are so many people who are crying out to know more about who God is, and they don't even know how to cry out for it. There's some music. Some of some of secular musicians, are, they, they write some of the deepest spiritual songs for that cry. There's a group called Extreme. They wrote a song called Wholehearted. The lyrics say, Life ambitions, they occupy my time. Happiness, one step behind. It says, this river flows into the sea, yet even the sea is not so full of me. If I'm not blind, why can't I see that a circle won't fit where a square should be? There's a hole in my heart, and it can only be filled by you. And this hole in my heart can't be filled by the things that I do. That's not a Christian group. That's a secular group. That's not a group that follows Christ. That's a group that's crying out for someone to show them the way. You hear that phrase? Show me the way? There's a group called Sticks. They wrote a song called, Show Me the Way. The lyrics to that song, show me the way, take me tonight to the river and wash my illusions away. Every night I say a prayer in the hope that there's a heaven. And every day I'm disappointed once again because the saints turn into sinners. All the heroes and legends I knew as a child, they faded to idols of clay. So I feel this empty place inside, and I'm just crying out, somebody show me the way. You see, that's the call of the good fight. That's the call that Paul had. He was relentlessly faithful, and when it came time, his faith was so well known that they forgot what they accused him of, but they knew when they needed to know more about who Christ was that Paul, he can tell them. He could show them the way. When I was a teenager, I went on a mission trip just like the mission trip that these guys have gone on except for instead of going to the border, we went to a suburb of Chicago. It was Naperville, Illinois. And uh, man, what a great trip it was. We got to do backyard Bible clubs and in in. In the community, all over the community, we got to go to a river walk area where uh, just the community shows up and we, we, we sang some and we, we, we did did a program. But then we also just kind of went out and talked to people and had an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And, and I mean, every day we'd get up really early and then we'd stay out really late. Then we'd come back to the hotel. And, you know, this is it's probably 150 of us that went on this trip. And it was like a gospel-sharing machine, uh, which was awesome because the kids in the group, they just—they get on the trip, and they were, just, they were so interested in sharing Christ's love with people that every time they had an opportunity to talk about who Jesus was, they took it. It was such a privilege to be a part of that. And on the last night of the trip, we get back to the hotel. And we've had our little group time, and we're all headed back up to the hotel, excuse me, up, up to our individual rooms or rooms all over the place. Think about 150 teenagers, right, in the same hotel. What that must be like, right? Um, you know, it's got to be crazy. It's got to be loud. Doors slamming, and all that stuff. Well, my youth pastor, Mike Taylor, who preached here a few weeks ago, and our music minister, Rodney Salmon, uh, they got on, a, on an elevator. And in the elevator was another man. And Mike is very social. So is Rodney. And they were just talking, and they didn't really notice the other man until they recognized that the other man was just staring at them. You know, if you want to make people feel really comfortable when you're standing in an elevator, um, don't face the door, face the back of the elevator and just look at somebody the whole time. (laughs) Just see what happens. So this guy's just looking at him. He's just staring at him. And so Mike, being the friendly guy that he is, and Ronnie, hey man, I'm Mike Taylor. What's up? How are you doing? Tell me your name. And I can't remember his name right now. He goes, man, I don't know what it is, but y'all are different. And Mike goes, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? We're different. He goes, I've been in this hotel all week long. And I've seen your group leave every morning and come back every night. And every one of those kids, there's something different about those kids. And I don't know what it is, but I like it. (laughs) Wouldn't it be incredible for the end of your life, for your story, like Paul's, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Wouldn't it be good if that could be said about you? That man that night was introduced to Jesus Christ. And he placed his faith in Jesus and his eternity was forever changed. And you know what I said? Absolutely nothing. I wasn't in the elevator when it happened. You know what? What? Everybody else, that whole group, you know what they said to share the gospel with that person? (laughs) Absolutely nothing. We showed up, and we were faithful in the way we act, in the way we spoke, the way we lived, the way we treated each other, the way we treated them. And Mike Taylor and Rodney Salmon were the ones who got to draw the net because the seed had already fallen in good soil, and that man will never be the same. Maybe that needs to be your story today. Maybe you've come to this place because you've seen the lives of one of the people in here and you're, you're intrigued. You're like, I don't know what it is about them, but I like them. I don't know what it is, but I need to find out more. Well, let me tell you what's different. It's that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He's forgiven me of my sin. He's reconnected me with my heavenly father because that connection on my own just was not possible. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't, I couldn't run hard enough or fast enough. I could not do anything that would make it so that my relationship with God was full and complete. But Jesus Christ did that for me, and he can do exactly the same thing for you. That's the difference in my life. That's the difference in the lives of the people around me. And so today, maybe you need to place your faith in Christ just like the man in that elevator. Maybe that's what you need to do. You can do that in just a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to get to sing together. We're going to worship a little bit more. If you've got questions, there are people down front who could answer your questions. You could come talk to them about it. But I can tell you this. There's also people sitting right next to you who could answer your questions and would love to do so. So maybe during this invitation time, you just have a moment where you're just saying, God, I don't know if I get it, but I would like to know more about it. And then you start talking to somebody and, answer and ask your questions. There's answers. We've got them maybe you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been less than faithful. Well, now's a great opportunity to repent and to say, God, I'm going to start studying your word systematically. I'm going to commit to be here so that I can learn more about this, so that I can follow you more closely, so that I can, so that I can be faithful. I can look back and like Paul, someday I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Maybe, maybe you need to repent of something in your own life as a believer. Maybe you've been faithful and today you just need to keep it up. Maybe today you need to show up at this altar and pray for your My One, for the person that you've been praying for, that they would come to faith in Christ. Pray for opportunities to be salt and light right where you are. Pray for opportunities to interact with them. Pray that they would interact with other people who are believers so that that message is multiplied beyond your voice and through the voice of others. Whatever you need to do today in order to be right with God and to remake that connection because of what Christ did for you, let this be a moment of surrender you. Let's pray together.